KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with someone you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. I didn't start coaching until I was maybe mid-20s. I started coaching at a local high school and I absolutely loved it. I loved the mentorship. I loved the relationships that I had with the players. You know, just feeding into them what so many people fed into me as a student athlete to help me get to where I was. And our guest this week, Devin Jefferson. She is the head women's basketball coach at Division Three Stockton University. And Devin, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, this is going to be fun. Thank you for having me, Matt. <laughs> so let's start. You guys are in the middle of a great season. Uh, what is working here right now as you kind of turn the stretch for the for the final handful of regular season games? Oh, my gosh, it's been good. You know what? I think I give it all to my players. My senior class is I have five players that are in my senior class and they've been the core. They are the culture of it all. Um, they're leading the way. They want to win. So it makes my job a little bit easier. I mean, I want to win too, but they're the core of it all. They're my first recruiting class. So they know my language. They know what my expectations are. Um, so I, I give more credit to them than I can even take on myself. <laughs> Given that all that experience, did you come into the season with pretty high expectations? Like, did you think this was a group that was ready to break through? I did. But you know what, Matt, the crazy thing, my first year, <laughs> my first year as a head coach, I knew nothing. <laughs> and so I thought that year we were going to win an NJAC championship. <laughs> But it's hard, and I'm glad I went through all that I went through, despite going through it at the time. But yeah, this year, I thought we would be definitely better than last year. So you were hired in 2018 at Stockton, is that correct? I was, I was. I, I still feel like I'm new to it all. I just, I'm in my sixth season right now. Yeah, to that, that was kind of my question. Like, where are you as far as feeling like you've got your arms around the job? And I don't mean it's much more than just game day and practice. And I'm sure that's probably one of the first things you re that really hits you upside the head is all the things that go into being a head coach that really have nothing to do with getting with, ready with for the next game. being a head game. coach, yeah. right? Right? <laughs> it sounds like you've been around a long time too, but it's hard. But it's it's a good hard. I mean, I still don't feel sometimes uh, that I have my arms wrapped around it completely, um, especially after losing a game. We just lost a game, a tough game on Saturday. And you kind of go back and what you're doing well, what you're doing right. You second guess yourself. And then you watch film and you get some reassurance that it's not all that bad, Devin. But I feel like it's some things are kind of finally coming into place year six. Have you changed a lot as a coach? Over the years? Oh, I have. I changed I changed a lot. I I mean some some things in a good way, some things my patient level, I'm still working on that, praying for that every day. <laughs> my patience level is not that great, but just learning to be more process oriented. You know, again, I just told you a couple minutes ago I thought I was going to win a championship in that first year, but looking back on it now, I had to go through all of that stuff to get to where we are right now and not that we've arrived yet but you know you got to go through the lumps and the losing and the building of the team culture and you know getting acclimated with you know new freshman classes every year making sure your senior class 
kind of lead lead the ropes with things. So it's getting a little bit easier. Let's let's say that. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. What's your earliest basketball memory growing up? Ooh. Okay, so this is funny, and we laugh about this. I have two sisters and my mom and dad. My earliest memory of basketball, I may have been maybe 11 or 12 years old. Vanessa Watson is historical in northern New Jersey, in Newark, New Jersey. She was the girls basketball coach at Malcolm X Shabazz. And so during the summer, she would have, you know, like open practices for girls in a community who wanted to just learn how to play ball. Um, And so my mom would force me and my older sister to go down into Newark, New Jersey, into this area that we weren't familiar with at this community center to play basketball with the girls that were like so much way ahead of us. And we went there and let me tell you, they were making layups and finger rolling around the rim. And I didn't know how to do a three-man weave. (laughs) And so we laugh at that moment because not only like, you know, we grew up in Newark, but just a different side. Not only was it a culture shock for us, but we had no idea what we were doing. But we laugh at those moments. And I appreciate those moments because every everybody obviously has a starting point. But um, it makes me appreciate to where <laughs> where I am now and where I've gotten with basketball. When do you feel like you fell in love with the sport? Um, it was high school. High school for me. I knew I loved it. I became more self-driven with it. When it came to AAU practices, my mom wasn't force feeding me then at the moment, but I I just, I loved it. And I knew I loved it when there were things going on outside of basketball where I just came committed where like, no, I had to go to practice or I have a game or I have AAU game or I have to do this with basketball. So that's kind of when I was like, I, I knew I wanted then to play in college. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew I loved it enough to want to keep on trying. And I wasn't. I wasn't good. You know, I was a hustler and a rebounder and I played hard and I had some athletic ability, but I don't think I developed a skill until much later on. Were you that self-aware at that young age? Like that you didn't have, you weren't there yet? Um, A little bit of it, but it, I was, I was a little stubborn too, getting in my own way. I knew that wasn't going to stop me from getting to where, you know, I always wanted to play division one ball. And I was on a high school team that was very good uh, at Mount St. Dominic's and Caldwell. And the players that were on the team, they were going to Northeast, Northwestern and Fairfield. And one went to Scranton and they were good. I knew I wasn't there. <laughs> So I knew I had a long way to go, but silently they were my, they were inspiration for me on where I needed to go basketball wise to get better. When do you feel like you hit your stride where the, the want to and the ability and the talent kind of converged? When did it, oh, I think it was late, Matt. I was maybe a junior in college. You know, I think my work ethic got me there. Uh, once I was there, I was, you know, still humble, happy to be there and, you know, playing with players that, I, you know, obviously were better than me. But I think just kind of working through it during the summers and I never left campus. You know, I was always with my strength coach or, you know, doing things during the off season with any of the assistants. So I think my confidence kind of peaked um, around my junior year in college. And it's so funny because by the time I graduated, I felt like I had so much more basketball left in me. So I, I, it was maybe it was a good time for me of when, of when I peaked. 
And you went to Seton Hall. Did you were you looking to stay relatively close to home? I didn't. Seton Hall was always um, it's it's literally a half a mile from my home. <laughs> so it was the school where you always went to for camps. You went there for the games. Um, it was in a biggie. So I, I never had dreams of going there. I, I was such a pain in the butt to my parents. I told them I was going to go to school in California <laughs> just to get away a little bit. But my uncle played at Seton Hall. So it was one of those things where I always went to the home games and the men's games. My freshman year of college, I went to a junior college because I wasn't recruited much out of high school. And the coach at Seton Hall had called me and reached out to me and she knew of me and I obviously knew of her. And we started the recruiting relationship that whole year. And I came home. I went to junior college in Connecticut. So I came home a weekend to do my official visit. And it just felt surreal. It felt like, you know what, maybe this is the place where I could end up and it wouldn't be that bad. And it actually being the best thing for me that I needed. <laughs> Athletically, academically, uh, spiritually, all of it. it. It ended up being a really good space. How big was that junior college year, just in maybe not even basketball, but just life-wise? Um, it was huge. It was huge. You know, Just being away from home, keeping basketball, keeping it as a priority in my life. Um, I do think I, I developed a lot of confidence there, just how I was scoring and, you know, just kind of leading the team. I think I, there were some things that I've done and kind of surprised me too, but it was outside of home and it was in a new environment and I, I definitely definitely think that was a good space for me in all areas. I went to all girls private high school. So this was like going to a public high school in New London, Connecticut. So let's I, I had some fun too. <laughs> so you go to Seton Hall, you talked about your junior year was kind of the year where it clicked. What are your favorite college basketball memories from a playing standpoint? Ooh, my senior year, we actually were relatively and when I say pretty good now the the Big East was flooded with UConn and Notre Dame and Miami was good at the time but we went on like a five game winning streak and I was I was playing a lot during this time and we went up to DePaul and we beat DePaul that was great we went to Villanova I think that was our fifth game that we won Villanova was great at the time as they always are um, so it was that moment where kind of where I am right now in my coaching career where we've done better than what we were doing the past, the previous three years at Seton Hall. So I always remember that me and my teammates, we talk about those moments all the time. We ended up being, I think, like 16 and 15 overall in a conference. Um, so it was I remember those moments when we were winning <laughs> more often than any than any other times. So did you always figure that you would coach at a certain point? I did. The coaching book started when I knew my career was coming to an end. Um, and I always wanted as, as much as I thought my college coach was awesome. You know, there's always some things of like, oh, well, let's do this or we could do that. And I started thinking about it in college. Like, you know, I think I want to, you know, pursue this a little bit more as a career. Um, and I didn't, I didn't start coaching until I was maybe mid twenties. Um, I started coaching at a local high school and I absolutely loved it. I loved the mentorship. I loved the relationships that I had with the players, you know, just feeding into them what so many people fed into me as a student athlete to help me get to where I was. So it was, I, I was so energetic and passionate 
about like I did this, you can do it too. So that was I yeah, I, I to answer your question, I I think it was early on in college where I wanted where I wanted to be a college coach. At what point along the line of coaching did you have the first moment when you said something to a kid and all of a sudden something clicked that, oh my God, my coach said this to me 12 times and I rolled my eyes every time, but now I get it. Like those commercials where you're becoming your parents, like was it one where you be realized you were becoming your coach? Yep, where you sound like your mother all of a sudden or your or your dad. Um, that was probably yep. immediate, you know, and I, I, I started coaching based on how I was coached. So a lot of going out in the coaching world, like I coached based on what my head coach Phyllis told us, you know, not knowing if it was right or wrong, you know, you just did what somebody told you to do. <laughs> so I probably sounded like her a lot more than I wanted to. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. To that point, how long do you feel like it, it took you to find your voice as a coach? Like you said, you coached how you were coached. Like how long along the line until you kind of felt like that you were you were Devin Jefferson, the coach? Oh, that took a long time. You know, it's, it's so hard. I was an assistant longer than I was in a head coach. And as an assistant, you, you have a voice. But you want to make sure that your voice is in line with what the head coach's vision is. And you want to make sure so badly that you don't overstep or that you're not disloyal or that even though that there's something that you disagree with, that it's in the core of what the head coach wants. And so it was hard. My first real full-time job as an assistant was at University of Vermont. And the coach that I worked for, she was new also. She, I've known her for a long time. She was an assistant at uh, Seton Hall as well. And so when I was at UVM, culturally, it was very different. There was no other students or staff person of color. So I always had to kind of just kind of teeter and make sure that my voice was my voice. But you got to make sure that you're always saying the right thing and that, you know, is this what the coach wants, what the players understand? So I don't think, Matt, to be honest with you, I've I've really found my voice until recently, maybe until I got to Stockton, where it was my voice, my program. What did you enjoy most about being an assistant coach? The relationships I had with the players. You know, you, you can mentor them and you can, you see things differently as an assistant coach uh, that you don't see as a head coach. As an assistant coach, you see the eye rolls. You see if someone's not playing or looking their best, like something else could be wrong. As a head coach, you just you have blinders on on like team growth, team development, transition defense, you know, what offenses you should run, who's not cutting hard. You don't see the things that maybe matter the most. But as an assistant, I'm, I miss those relationships that I've had with the players where players will tell you things as an assistant that they may not want to tell the head coach. And as a head, as an assistant, you can kind of, you know, do a lot of damage control in the most positive way and saying, oh, well, maybe, you know, Let's get up extra shots in the morning or, you know, let's watch more film together. As a head coach, you can do that. You can do all of those things, too. I just find that sometimes the players, even though the relationships are solid and genuine, they may not be as forthcoming telling you everything as they may be with an assistant. 
So you're at Vermont, and then you move on to Fairleigh Dickinson. What's the uh, door that opens there that that allows you to make that move? You, it's so funny how God works. Is is it's the Pizzanella, who was the head coach at Fairleigh Dickinson at the time. I knew him since I was maybe 16 or 17. He coached at American International College and recruited me out of high school to go to AIC. And I laugh with him to this day because he called my house maybe like three or four times a week. And every time he would call, I would be like, Ma, tell him I'm not here. <laughs> I, I knew I didn't want to go to the school and I knew I wanted to play Division One, So I was always kind of ducking and hiding from him until one day I was a senior. He was like, Devin, we're going to do a home visit at your house. And I was just like, really? <laughs> So he came to my house, him and his assistant, you know, it was an all day thing. They did a home visit. I was 17 years old, impressionable, didn't know what I was doing at the moment as far as like, do I really want to go to school in a Boston area of Massachusetts? Is this the school I would want to go to? And so I developed a, you know, a mentor coach relationship with him at a young age. I did not go to AIC, but along my playing career, we kind of kept in touch. And when I became a coach, I've always seen him on the recruiting track. And so when he had an opening, when I was at UVM, he called and he was like, I know you want to come back home. You can't say no to me twice. <laughs> and so it was it was almost a no-brainer for me. I knew he was always a good coach. Uh, I knew I could learn from him and grow as an assistant, just kind of hearing from another voice. And so that was the intrigue of me going to Fairleigh Dickinson. Was it a big jump from a comfort level standpoint because it's closer to home because of the relationship you had with coach? Like, were you able to really hit the ground running in your role there? I was. I was. He gave me a lot of autonomy uh, with recruiting. He gave me a lot of autonomy with just building the culture at Fairleigh Dickinson, which I appreciate. It kind of gave me a lot of confidence and like, oh, Devin, do this or this is how you don't do things. He was more of a coach's coach. He just wanted to worry about practices and games and are we winning and he kind of let me, you know, lead the way when it came to recruiting and who we needed to bring in. Um, so that gave me a lot of confidence. It was a lot of work, um, but I appreciated it uh, at the same at the same time. So it was it was good for me. Being a lot of work, were there moments where you're like, "Well, I don't know, is this for me?" Or were you all in all the time? And I, I don't mean all in like you weren't giving your all, but were there any moments of when you start to learn everything that goes into it of is this what I want to kind of hang my hat on for the duration? Or did you, even with all the work, did you love it? I've I've always, not always, but I, there were moments, there were a lot more moments, Matt, where I second-guessed myself, where, is this the right kid? Could she help us win? Should I be going to this game? Or should we be doing this? Or should we be recruiting this person? You do always second-guess yourself. And in the moment, in the when it all matters, you don't see, like, what, eventually works or if, if it is working. In our first two years, we hadn't won uh, many games. We were kind of below 500. So there was a lot of second guessing. But with the second guessing is, you know, you got to lean on your hope, your faith. You talk to other coaches. You kind of corral together as a staff on what could be fixed. And so that that helps also just making sure that the decisions you make whether it's based on game management or scouting or recruiting, 
that it was the decision that you needed to make for that moment. And eventually it gets it gets better, but I never second guess the fact that I wanted to do this as a career. You know, you second guess, oh my, am, am I good enough? Did I make the right decision? And I, I think that comes with any job. But you know, you you do what you do. You take one one step in front of the other, and you and you keep going. And you, you learn from your mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. I still do. You make a lot of mistakes and then you learn from them and, and you keep going. We need to take a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Stockton University head women's basketball coach Devin Jefferson in just a couple of moments. But right now, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special redefine your driving experience with honda kbb.com's best value brand of 2023 contact your local honda dealer today about the honda accord hybrid and the crv hybrid and now on one-on-one with matt leon let's get back to our conversation with stockton university head women's basketball coach devin jefferson in your career as an assistant Was there a moment when you started to feel like I am ready to take over a program or does the opportunity at Stockton come to your attention and you start to do the cost benefit in your head of, you know, is this for me? Should I make the jump now? Which, which direction was it? Um, I knew year four when I was at Fairleigh Dickinson, I was there for five years. Year four, I I received a couple of offers from other division one schools to be another associate head coach or head or assistant coach, never a head coach. And so I, I looked into those opportunities and then I just, I, maybe it was a maturity thing where I just felt like, you know what, this isn't the right fit, or I don't know if my values are aligned with the coach's values, or I don't know if, you know, I know I'm a stronger coach now, so I don't know if this coach may value my opinion as much. So I maybe, I, I guess I, I did have a little bit of confidence then in knowing that every job opportunity that's offered, you don't have to take or may not be the right one for you. And so year four, I did look for some other positions or you hear of other positions that are at the division three level that are head coaching positions that I looked into that w- were not a great fit. And then year five, uh, when Stockton became open, I thought it would be a good fit. You know, the fact that it was in New Jersey, it's in a strong conference, that they've had a winning tradition. Um, So I didn't know what I didn't know, but I jumped into it and it's been working out so far the past couple of years. To that point, didn't know what you didn't know, because that's one of the uh, one of my go to phrases when it talks about taking big steps in, in coaching. What was the first moment, do you remember, when you take over as head coach where you were like, oh, crap, I have to do that? Like, or that that's something I have to worry about? Was there something right away? Um, About the job? Uh, there wasn't anything then about the job that I was taken aback that I was surprised about. I think I was so green and so ready to win. I didn't know what it took to win, but there was nothing else about the job that I was surprised at. I mean, you you always have a lot of paperwork to do. There's always endless recruiting. There's always endless phone calls and text messages that you have to follow up with. Maybe that was a little bit of a surprise because it was 
uh, or not a surprise, but a, maybe harder to do because there's no full-time assistance. So you're, you are scheduling your off-season AAU moments. There's nobody else that can travel with you. You're doing it yourself. You got to be two places at one time. So you got to juggle. Who do you see? Who do you not see? So that was a little bit difficult, but you know, you just, you just go in and I just did it, which all coaches do. Um, And then you figure out as you go on, what's most important, what's at stake, what's most pivotal at that time. You talked about how that first year you thought you were going to come in and win and reality kind of hit you. How tough was that mentally? Because I mean, like you, that's tough. Like you guys, that's hard to get used to. It is hard. And I came in, I remember I was like that first kid in the height, like, you know, your first day of school with like the new notebooks and the post-its and the playbooks. And I, what I didn't know was like those kids needed to know that they mattered to me. And I, I knew that, but I, I just wanted to be so good that I went in and like with the draw book of what we're going to run and what we're going to look like, not knowing if this was the style or the personality of the team. And so what I didn't know was that they needed to be probably, I don't want to say the word coddled, but they needed to know that I cared and that, you know, they were players that did not play as much with the previous coach, but that, you know, that I wanted to work on their skill development and getting their confidence better. But I went in with like a chainsaw and like ready to like bust down doors and that did not happen. Was there a tangible moment when you realized how difficult it was going to be? Oh yeah, when we were losing. <laughs> when we were when we were losing and I was like, "Oh gosh, this is not this is this some something's got to be redone." <laughs> but I I knew how hard Division 3 was despite me not having any Division 3 experience. I knew that the competition was cutthroat. I knew the coaches were cutthroat. I think the coaches are even more cutthroat than they are at a higher level. But, you know, we didn't win that many games. And when the more I focused on winning, the more we did not win. So and the more I probably was not the greatest coach to those players, you know, because I'm I'm focused so much more on the play and what's at stake when in actuality or reality, there was nothing that was at stake. You know, me building the culture was the most important. Me building the work ethic, the camaraderie, the accountability, the the team dynamic was the most important. But you couldn't tell me that in 2018, Matt. <laughs> so when do you feel like you really turned a corner from that. Like, was it like one full year and you were like, okay, something's got to change or did it take a little longer? It took longer. You, my second year, I brought in a recruiting class of seven players. Uh, I think that second year was harder than the first year um, because then I was like, all right, you know, Devin, you got to take a step back. You got to, you know, establish more relationships or more camaraderie. And as much as I felt like I was trying. I just don't think that it was a good fit on both parties. So I had my new recruiting class in. I had some older players who had been around and it wasn't gelling as much as I I wanted it to. And I I don't know if I could have done anything different in that respect. I just I just think that was just the timing of me being a second year coach with kids that were of different uh, mindsets, let's say that. 
And so I think it all clicked the year after COVID. Uh, So the 21-22 season had arrived and it was a good fit. You know, I always enjoyed my players, but it it felt like, you know, they're all of the same mindset where they want to win. They want to practice. They want to get better. They want to push each other. So I I felt like that was when, you know, I saw the light at the end end of the tunnel a little bit. Did you feel it? You kind of met like practice games. Like, was there a game or a moment where you really felt like it crossed over and you could, it started to really become your program? Like start things really started to roll downhill during that season? Like, was there a a moment? I don't know if there was an exact moment, but you do feel the culture change when you come into the work and you see the players in the gym shooting. Or the players, they're there after practice, you know, they're there getting up shots. So they're coming to me as opposed to me reaching out to them and saying, oh, coach, let's do film. So I don't think there was a defining specific moment. I just think the culture was more evolving into one of we want this to work. We want to be good. We want to be better than what we were the past two years. So this thing really starts cooking, and then I think it's in March 2022, life comes at you hard with a cancer diagnosis. Can you take us inside? Because this was, you were not feeling ill or anything. You just went, as I understand, you just went for a a mammogram, a regular test, kind of expecting to get the all, you know, okay, great. See you next year, right? Yep, yep. And I, I remember that day so vividly because I went in and I remember like, I went in for my mammogram and that was, you know, you get that done and then you don't think about it. And then the doctor calls you and say, oh, you got to come in. You know, there's there's things that we don't that we got to go over. We we may need a biopsy and, you know, not trying to be too raw. But when a doctor tells you that they want to biopsy your breast, the first thing you're going to the first thing you're thinking of is like, hell no, that ain't happening. <laughs> But so I, I, I thought about that for a couple of weeks and they, they biopsied and then uh, the results came in. And I remember this day when I had to go into my doctor's office for the results because I had a recruit scheduled for campus. And so I'm waiting in the office, I'm on the phone, not present at all. <laughs> and I'm thinking of where I need to be and hoping that the doctor hurried up and came in with the results so I can get the hell up out of there. And the look on her face, um, she kind of said it with the look before she even sat down. And that's kind of when I kind of, I didn't get scared, but I I became more present than I was the previous couple of minutes. So she explained everything of what was going on, that it was um, what they found in the biopsy was cancerous. And I had to do so much testing, genetic testing and blood work just trying to trace uh, where it could have come from. So that was about, that was late May of 2022. And after doctor's visits and second opinions and, you know, letting it all resonate a little bit, you accept the fact that like, all right, Devin, this is cancer. It was stage zero by the time they detected it. By the time I had surgery, it was stage one. Um, So it was, it, it, it was an eye-opening experience. And did it, did the surgery, did the whole, it, it went into basketball season, didn't it? It went into basketball season. I, my surgery, I, so I thought about it all summer. And I guess this was good. Hindsight, you know, looking back, I think I needed that summer to just like resonate and plan and, you know, just kind of cope with it all. But so 
My surgery was September 13th of 2022, which went well. I had to have another surgery after that. I had two surgeries pretty much. And so the first thing I was thinking of, which I think was good, was just of my basketball season and what I needed to do and getting back to practice. Practice starts in October 15th. And so people thought I was crazy. And my mom was like, Devin, you just need to, you know, just stay home and rest. But I think I needed to have that something to look forward to, to go back to. So I wouldn't, you know, just dwell on what I was going through. So I was, I was a little bit ignorant of it all too, Matt. How difficult was it physically in addition to mentally and emotionally but you know as you're ramping up for a season you're dealing with everything that goes along with it yeah it was it it slowed me down I can say that and I'm one of those ones in certain drills I like to get into practices and do the drills and defend and try to block their shots and you know just kind of find a way to amp them up in those first couple of weeks of practice I, I wasn't doing any of that Um, And there were there were a couple of practices where I remember where I was, you know, not feeling the greatest, whether you're in pain. I was in pain sometimes um, where I should have taken a step back. But it's it's my job has kept me going. It's kept me moving and kept me not thinking about what I was dealing with at home with my health. How long until you got kind of the all clear from the doctors and you felt like yourself again? At what point? It was about March of 2023, right when the season ended. I did radiation for eight weeks every morning from 8 8 a.m. to 8.30. That was from November through January. And you don't experience a little bit of physical pain, but I, I think more the fatigue and the stress of doing the radiation and during the season at the same time. That was hard. That was probably harder for me than the actual surgery. So after the radiation ended last January, almost a year to this day, I started feeling myself again, you know, March and April. Maybe it could have been the springtime too. Maybe it was a combination of both. But after the season, I started feeling like myself again. How important, and you kind of talked about this, having to have something to look forward to in the fall, but when you're going through all that, dealing with the radiation and everything, how important was just having practice or having a game? Was it looked at almost as a release in this point, maybe more than it had been before? I think so. I think so. And I I didn't want to tell my players what I was going through. I didn't want to put my stuff on them. But when I was out, you know, I was like, they're going to, when I'm not here a day, they're like, coach, where are you? Like, what? Like, why are you taking lunch for so long? (laughs) So I did explain to them what was going on. I wanted them to be aware, but I didn't want to burden them with my stuff. And so they knew a little bit of what I was going through during the season. Some of them may not have understood at all just because, you know, they were young and they're, you know, as an 18, 19 year old, nothing really affects you, but what you're doing, which was good. But I do think selfishly, I do think I needed to be around them and I needed to be preparing for games and I needed to be preparing for recruiting and all of that other stuff just to balance some things out and just just to make myself feel normal. You know, I didn't want to feel like I was sick. I didn't want anybody to think that I was sick. I didn't, no one knew in our athletic department um, except a handful of people. So I, I just wanted things to go as normal with the flow as much as possible. So I, it, it definitely helped. Do you feel like that whole experience, has it changed you as a person and as a coach? 
Um, it has. It it definitely has. And I, I we we talk about it all the time um with my family. Like my grandmother is like still driving and she's 90 years old. And so as much as healthy as my family is, you know, it, it was an eye opener for all of us and just realizing that health is important, being proactive with your health is even more important. Um, and even though I look healthy, that it was a shock to all of us, including myself, that something like this is out of our control and that we need to stay on top of. So it was it was a surprise and a shock and definitely has me thinking about health and awareness of my health a lot more than than it has before. Do you feel like you maybe take some things a little more in stride than you did before that because a bad call stuff like that and I don't mean to equate them but where something might have really irritated you before and now it's kind of like ah, that sucks all right let's move on like it, it just doesn't have the the staying power when you kind of look at it through a different lens it it does it does and I guess before you know losing games like I would not come up out of you know, I would not come out of that until like 36 hours later. It still has a lasting effect, but it does make you think about life in a different lens. Like, all right, Devin, let's come back to reality. Like, this is a basketball game. This is not, you know, somebody going through chemotherapy or, you know, that's going through something that's a little bit more life or death or at stake. You know, as coaches, we always feel like our games are like life or death. But in reality, they're not. You know, you can learn a lot more from a loss. And I'm saying this, but it's still hard to take. You can you can learn a lot more from a loss than you can from a win. So in some respects, it has taught me to think about things in a, in a different light. What is your favorite part of game day? Oh, I'm not a game day coach, Matt. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I like the day before the game. <laughs> I'm nervous during games. I'm nervous. I do like, well, I, I do like seeing my players excited and amped up and they're game day players. And I try to, you know, like fake it till I make it about being excited about the games too. I am like a nervous wrecking ball. <laughs> Were you like that as a player? No, no. As a player, as a player, I think I drove my coach crazy. So this is my karma, but <laughs> I just, I'm worried about things I keep, that's not in my control at all. Like, are we going to box out? Will the two-three zone work? Will our press work? Will so will someone take away middle like we practice all week? Will our rotations be good? And it's stuff that's like, all right, Devin, just let it go. You know, you're in game, whatever, and your girls are going to play however they play. But I'm I'm an I'm a nervous wreck the day of the game. <laughs> But that's something because that's a question I often ask is one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize is how much control you are seeding as a coach because you can only do so much. You can drill it. You put it on the board, go over it, give them handouts, talk about it, watch film, but they've got to do it. And that is really difficult for a lot of people to to seed that control. It, it is. And I'm, I'm like, am I becoming a control freak? I don't know. Maybe so. But as a coach, you have none. <laughs> You have none. And I and I spin that in a way, which I think is powerful too, you know, for my players to feel like, look, do you want this or do you not? Like, this is all, you know, we give you the tools 
We'll tell you what to prepare for. We'll tell you what to expect. We'll tell you what to run, what's going to work, what's going to be open, you know, how you can score. But the control, like you have all the power. And so their eyes light up when you tell them that. But they have all the power and all the reign. And I, I think they've taken advantage of it as, as much as we can so far. So hopefully we can keep that going. And my final question, kind of given, you know, what 22 into 23 was like for you personally, but also kind of the the road that this roster's taken, kind of building to this year with all this experience, just how like satisfying has this season been? And I don't want to jinx anything because I know there's still work to do, but having this type of success this year after all this, it's got to be gratifying. It is. It is so gratifying. I mean, again, as a coach, your confidence goes up and down and are you doing the right thing? And I'm, I'm just more pleased that, you know, my players who are seniors, they're taking this program and they're like, you know, they're making sure that the younger players are like, look, we're not losing this game or this is what we have to do to not lose. And some, you see it halftime, you know, they're leading the discussions right before us and my other assistants are coming in. You know, you see it the day before a game of them saying, you know, we're not going at like, this is what you got to eat. You know, everybody be in bed by 10. Um, so that's it's 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 greatly gratifying. I mean, at my first year in the league, we won maybe four or five conference games. Um, we've always been picked. You know, I don't I don't really buy into this, but the NJAC coaches, we we pick place on where we think each team is going to end by the end of the season. And we're always eighth or seventh. Um, sometimes we're that dark horse, that team that may surprise you. So, you know, and not to say that we're doing this to get the respect or to to prove anything to anyone else. We're, I'm not into it for that, but it is very gratifying to see that all the work that we put in, that we're seeing some result of it right now. Devin Jefferson, this was great. Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, Matt. This was fun. And that will do it for this episode of One-on-One with Matt Leon, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. Want to thank Stockton University head women's basketball coach Devin Jefferson for coming on and sharing her story this week. If you like the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, could you do us a favor? Leave us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. You can follow the show on the platform formerly known as Twitter, now known as X at one-on-one pod. You can follow me there as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should should know more about.